Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. Amen. Good morning. Uh, good to be with you all. Uh, we were talking with a few people before uh, the service started and trying to remember the last time we were with you all. Uh, it's been uh, just over three years, uh, almost. Uh, yeah, just slightly over three years, actually, since the last time we were with you all. Um, it was sometime in 2017, if I remember correctly. Um, actually, the last time we all were together uh, was in the pub, um, formerly Gospel Community Church. Um, it's, so it's been a while. It's, it's a blessing. to. It's, it really is encouraging and edifying to our faith to see um, the ways in which God is uh, very evidently, very tangibly um, blessing you all and using you all and working among you all, um, meeting people that were not here three years ago, um, seeing this wonderful building um, that used to be um, a mechanic shop, is that right? Car dealership. Car dealership, all right. So you got rid of some liars and brought in truth, so that is, that is so encouraging. Um, I hope the former owner isn't here. Um, we're so encouraged to see um, see this map. This it, it's it's just this for Sonia and me. Seeing this this map that you all put up, just the intentionality that you all have to look to the nations and keep your eyes um, on on the field. Um, this is just evidence to us, a token to us of the heart that God has given you all. That has been evident to us from the very day that we met you all. I remember um, beginning to correspond with uh, Pastor Jason. Um, meeting with him at Winans, which was great, um, meeting with someone for coffee and chocolate, and then also discussing missions. It doesn't, your morning doesn't get better than coffee, coffee chocolate, and missions, and so um, we have had kindred spirits from day one. Um, but you all have been such a blessing to us, and the work of grace that God has done in giving you a heart to know his gospel, to, to live in light of and according to the gospel, and to see the gospel spread um, to the four corners of your block, to the four corners of the globe, has been so evident um, to me and to my wife uh, since we've met you all. And so I just want to say thank you and praise God for this work of grace that he's done. Um, Since we were last with you all, quite a bit has um, happened, actually. Uh, We've gained some things. We have obviously lost some things. Some people ask, um, what's it like learning um, a foreign language? Um, there's a lot you could say. What they don't often tell you is that when you're looking at the, the list of what um, the job description of language learning looks like, there's fine print that tells you you are going to lose your hair in the process. Our church has sent out many missionaries, and it just seems like a rite of passage. Every time a missionary family gets sent, they come back a few years later, and they're bilingual and bald. I don't know what is going on, but that seems to happen among our uh, church family and missionaries as well. So... Um, I like to say the Turks gave me their language and they took my, langu- my uh, hair on the process. Um, but we were in Turkey for just a little over two years, um, and with the Lord's grace, the Lord's enablement, we learned the language and we're in, in the process of a church plant, um, as you all have read and even prayed about, for which we are very thankful. Uh, we unexpectedly had to leave Turkey, um, and so we've been back since um, just the beginning of this year. 
Um, since then, my wife has become pregnant, and so she's just um, just about seven months along now. And so in just a little over two months, our, our first child and our first son, Theodore Nasser South, will be with us. And so we certainly appreciate your prayers um, for that, um, for us, and uh, for Theo as well, as he's going to have to deal with us for the next 18 to 20 years. And um, we, we have a friend with us today. His name is Mike. Um, he's one of the uh, ministry interns um, at our church. He's, um, he's 23 now and endeavoring to uh, serve Christ as a missionary overseas. Lord willing, in just a little over two months, he'll be going on his internship overseas to, to Frankfurt, Germany, to be involved in um, a church plant there and to learn overseas church planting. And so you certainly can pray for him. For all of you office friends out there, you won't believe this. I couldn't make this up. His name is Michael Scott Dindler. It doesn't get better than that. So he's a Christian who loves Jesus and loves missions. His name is Michael Scott Dindler. He could only get better if he were a missionary to Cambodia. Um, We are, as I presume you all have heard, um, making plans and beginning the process of relocating to the country of Cambodia. Now, there's quite a difference between Turkey and Cambodia So a very reasonable question is, well, where'd that come from? Uh, Why Cambodia? To which I would say, first of all, um, my wife and I have long had a a desire, a singular desire, and that is to see the gospel spread to the nations, um, to see the glory of Christ cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that, that drove us to Turkey. That's what drives us to make the decisions that we do to relocate overseas and all the inconveniences that that entails and to even take the risk of being told to leave countries after you've learned languages and you've befriended people and, and you, you're seeing a church established. Our desire is to see the glory of Christ cover the, cover the earth, to see worshipers from every nation called out um, into his church and to, to praise and glorify him for his work given to us, revealed to us in the gospel. And that's the desire that drives us to a country such as Cambodia. You see, Cambodia is a country of just over 16 million people, and it's roughly 96, 97% Buddhist. It's under 2% evangelical Christian. And so the majority of individuals who have actually heard this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, this gospel whom you are named after, this gospel that we relished in and were reminded of as we sang, and this gospel that I hope we will see anew and afresh from John 17, is a gospel they've never heard. And that's why we go. And so we, we ask that you would pray for um, God's working and God's leading in the country of Cambodia. Um, our plans are just as they were in Turkey. Our desire is to learn the language. The language there is a language called Kumai. If you've ever seen Thai, um, the script is fairly similar to the Thai language. And um, our plans are to learn the language, um, preach the gospel, Lord willing, see churches established, and pastors trained for ministry. And to that, um, for the purpose of and to the end of, seeing the gospel of Christ propagated and proclaimed to all of Cambodians and to all of Cambodia. And so we would ask that you would begin praying with us and praying for us and ask that God would begin to prepare people for us to minister to and to see his his kingdom expanded and his people established and built up in the country of Cambodia. 
Our plans are, Lord willing, we'll be arriving there uh, late summer of, of next year. And so Sonia is due in January, so we'll be around for a few months, and then Lord willing, we'll be, we'll be flying over and um, getting set up and beginning the process of learning Kumai uh, full-time. Over the last few months, the Lord really has blessed and has enabled us, allowed us to connect with uh, missionaries and with churches in Cambodia. Uh, one of the things that we discovered is that as a missionary, you actually can get a work visa uh, via a sponsored church, and we've connected with a group that's uh, willing to sponsor us and, uh, and that we believe we can work with. And so the Lord has really been working to connect us with individuals and to open the door, if you will, for us to relocate to and minister the gospel in Cambodia. So we appreciate your support, um, your partnership with us, and your prayers uh, with us as well. This morning we're looking, as we read, at John 17. Um, now, I should preface um, our, our time in our investigation of John 17 by saying that John 17 is a passage, it is a mind filled with riches, filled with riches to be excavated, to be mined. Um, and so in the time that we have, we're certainly not going to be able to dig into and just and excavate all the riches that are to be found um, in this passage. Very much, you know, Thanksgiving is coming up in just um, less than two weeks. You know, when you go to a Thanksgiving and you see this, this massive banquet and you have one plate, there's only so much you can get on one plate um, at a time. Now, I'm, I'm sure there are some parents out here who are saying, well, I have some children who will defy that, who actually prove that wrong. But when you, go to the, when you gather together with your friends or family, or if you, um, you know, follow the mandate and you, and you don't, um, you know that there's only so much you can get on a plate at a time. You can only um, enjoy so much of the feast at one time. And John 17 is a massive Thanksgiving banquet. And there's only so much we can put on our plates um, at one sitting. And so we're just going to dig into a little bit here. I want to look at and consider Christian mission with you from John 17. I want to see what John 17 teaches us about Christian mission or Christians on mission. Now, um, I want to state now um, what I think Christian mission is. I want to define this as I think it's defined in John 17. When we think about Christian mission as it's revealed in John 17, I think we can define it as Christian mission is the act of a Christian demonstrating and displaying the eternal triune love of God to the nations. Christian mission is the act of a Christian demonstrating and displaying the eternal triune love of God to the nations. And there are many ways in which we see this work itself out, the results of this in John 17. But I think it's very important for us today and this year to consider Christian mission because 2020 has certainly been um, a year for the books, uh, certainly a year that you and I are going to look back on for years to come. Uh, much has happened this year. Um, in fact, uh, not too long ago, um, I was being very productive on my laptop and looking at Facebook, and I saw a meme, and it was some lady, and she was like outside, she was bent over, and she was squinting with her, her hand like that, 
and the caption said, um, trying to figure out which chapter of Revelation we're doing today. And that has certainly been, um, I think, all of our experience of 2020, just trying to figure out what chapter of Revelation are we in today? Is this Exodus or Revelation? We don't know. And then when the, when the murder hornets came, we all knew some, something's going down. Something's not right here. And so this has been a year for the books. This has been a very unusual year and certainly a very disruptive, disorienting year. Not only is this year not we, what we anticipated it to be, but I suspect our lives moving forward as a result of this year are not entirely what we anticipated them to be. There are many reasons for this, and there are two in particular that really stand out. One is, of course, COVID-19 and all of its entailments, um, finan- um, monetarily and time and gatherings, and also um, the presidential election. As a result of that, we see um, cultural issues and cultural division in a way that is very unique and at least um, presumably among most in this um, gathered today, most in this building today, um, in a way that's very unparalleled to see the deep divisions that we see in our country and the cultural issues um, that are um, constantly and ever before our eyes, and that are causing deep division even among brothers and sisters who otherwise agree on most, if not all, things. What these two events together, these, just these two as an example, what these two mixed together can do is to um, desensitize us and put a blinder over our eyes as to the purpose for which God has us in Troy, Ohio, and in the world and among the nations. It can enable us to forget the Christian mission. What we can often find when we go through these circumstances such as COVID-19 and the presidential election and other cultural issues is that perhaps we have been or are allowing ourselves, our minds, our hearts to be much more discipled by the world than we do scriptures, to find that our hearts are much more in tuned with, um, much more attuned to or in line with Um, the political issues and positions of our day than the very gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, what you've seen happen um, through through COVID-19 and many of the um, precautions and actions that were taken in response to it, many of the issues that you've seen arise um, prior to and as a result of the presidential election, um, what you see it doing is revealing that many times our alignments Many times our commitments um, are much more aligned with particular American political persuasions than they are the very gospel. And many times when these issues arise, Christians in the first instance, in the first instance, instead of thinking in light of the Christian mission, are thinking in light of political positions and policies. Instead of thinking in light of the Christian mission and the opportunities that God might grant us through these unparalleled and unique times, are in the first instance thinking about the positions I want to take and the ways in which I want to revolt or rebel against the government or disagree with those around me and their political positions. But I want to exhort us, I want to urge that we ought to think through these matters, we ought to filter these matters through the mission that God has given us. And so let's look then um, at um, John 17, and let's consider the Christian mission. 
I want to show, I want to see three things about the Christian mission as we see them in John 17. The first thing um, that we see here about the Christian mission is the foundation of the Christian mission. (coughs) Sorry about that. Uh, The foundation of the Christian mission. Look with me, if you would, at verse number one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now, when we look at John 17, it's important to bear in mind that this is, a, this is not a, um, this is not a, um, a teaching um, of Christ. This is not him instructing his disciples, nor is he delivering a speech to the crowds. This is a conversation. This is a very intimate setting. Have you ever um, seen, known of, two unique individuals, perhaps two masterminds? You know, maybe you're a sports fan and you, th- you think you, like, you really enjoy, your, your, maybe you uh, really like Tom Brady, which I think that's blasphemy from an Ohioan pulpit, but there you go, I said it. You really like Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots. Um, and so maybe you thought to yourself, you know, I really like football. I really would love to just hear Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in conversation, dissecting a game, examining film, and making plans. I'd love to see that meeting of the minds. Maybe you thought that about two public intellectuals, or, or, you know, two philosophers or, or sociologists. You thought, I, I would just love to see them in dialogue and to see that, what that would be like. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what it's like within the life of the Trinity. God is one, and yet he's three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought, I wonder what it would be like to just give it, be given a glimpse, to be able to just for a moment eavesdrop on what dialogue among the Trinity must be like? That's actually what you're given in John 17. In John 17, you're given a bit of, um, of, of insight into the intimate fellowship between God the Father and God the Son. Here God the Son is praying to his Father. In this setting, the reality, the fact that it's a prayer, must not be forgotten when we examine this prayer. This is commonly known, as I presume you know, it's known as the uh, high priestly prayer, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Why? Because this is a part of this entire um, setting Uh, within John called the farewell discourse that starts all the way in John 13 and goes through the end of this chapter. Jesus, as the high priest of his people, the priest that all the priests in the Old Testament looked forward to and anticipated, and also as the great lamb, the sacrifice of his people, as John declares in John chapter 1, he's preparing to offer himself as a sacrifice on behalf of his people. He is preparing to complete the work. He is preparing for the hour, as we see all throughout John, the hour for which the Father sent him. Here in John 17, Jesus is functioning as a priest. Jesus is acting within his priestly duty. He is fulfilling his priestly obligations. He is praying to God the Father for you and for me. And just as the priest in the Old Testament 
would sanctify himself, he would consecrate himself and the offering on behalf of the people of God, so too here Jesus, as the greater high priest, is consecrating himself, as we see in John 17. He is sanctifying himself, and he is um, pleading on behalf of his people as the sacrifice is about to be offered. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said this, When the high priest of old entered into the most holy place, he kindled the incense on, in his censer, and waving it before him, he, perf- he perfumed the air with its sweet fragrance and veiled the mercy seat with the denseness of its smoke. Thus was it written concerning him, he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not. Even so, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he would once for all enter within the veil with his own blood to make an atonement for sin, did first offer Um, strong crying and prayers. In this 17th chapter of John, we have, as it were, the smoking of the Savior's pontifical center. He prayed for the people for whom he was about to die, and ere he sprinkled them with his blood, he did sanctify them with his supplications. So here Jesus, as priest, is praying on your behalf and my behalf for the the great sacrifice on behalf of his people. And this is in fulfillment of God's plan. This is in fulfillment of God's promise to his people. You see, there's a very important phrase in John 17 and verse 2. What does he say? Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Um, this, is, this wasn't slapdash writing on behalf of John. This phrase is very intentional, and this phrase is very important. You have given him all authority What is going on here in Jesus' prayer is he is alluding to the work of the Messiah as promised and prophesied in the Old Testament. You see, when you look to the Old Testament, you see this promise of a coming Redeemer, of a coming Messiah, this anointed one, this Savior who would come to save God's people from exile and bring them back into fellowship with God. Israel was unfaithful to the covenant. Israel was disobedient to God's law. Consequently, they went into exile. But in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, we see a promise of a coming son of man who's going to save Israel from exile, but it's bigger than exile. The scope of his mission is wider and broader than, 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 the, um, than the national boundaries of Israel. He's coming not only to save Israel from their exile and from their sin. You see, Israel was, in a very real way, was um, very picturesque of the world. It was very typical of the world. Israel, in a very real, real way, demonstrated what would have happened if you were Israel and I were Israel. You see, not only had Israel gone into exile, the entire world had gone into exile from God's fellowship. When you look back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we see God created all things, and he created all things good. And he created all things and all people to know him and have fellowship and communion with himself. But in Genesis 3, we see man disobey God, and they are exiled from Eden, consequently exiled from the very presence of God. And this is where what we as Christians call sin comes from. This is where the devastation of the world comes from. If you've ever wondered, why is there evil in the world? 
Why is there suffering in the world? Why is COVID-19 wreaking havoc on our nation and around our globe? It's because of Adam and Eve. It's because of sin. It's because man has been exiled from the presence of God. And chaos has ensued. God's plan, as begun with and fulfilled through Israel, was to restore his fellowship with man and his creation. This is the purpose for which which Jesus came. And even that Daniel 7 prophecy is connected to another promise. You see, there was a king in the Old Testament, King David. God makes a promise with King David in 2 Samuel 7 that an offspring will come from David who will establish his throne. And he will sit upon his throne eternally, securing David's rule and reign In Psalm chapter 2, actually we see David kind of um, reasoning with nations. There were these nations that were disobedient to, they were obstinate, and they were even rebelling against King David. And he refers in verses 7 through 9 to this decree, this decree, this promise that God had given him. And he says, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for an inheritance. That promise was ultimately a promise to David's greater son to David's greater offspring, Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the fulfillment of the promise of a Redeemer. He is the Messiah that was long awaited and anticipated, who brings exile and all of God's people, who brings Israel and all of God's people out of exile and back into deep fellowship and communion with God. What's going on in John 17? John 17, Jesus is praying the prayer of Psalm 2, 7 through 8. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for an inheritance. Jesus is pleading for the heathen. Jesus is praying that Davidic prayer in Psalm 2, and he's subduing all things unto himself, and he's exercising all his authority over humanity and over creation and bringing all things under his control and under his dominion. So he's praying for the fulfillment of this promise, of this reality, that his kingdom and his dominion will be established across the globe. But you see, this is a great foundation. This is a deep foundation, but it goes deeper than this. It goes back further than this. You see, we went back a, 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 a couple thousand years from Jesus' day in prayer. But you see, the foundation of Christian mission goes even further back. If you were trying to watch a film and try to figure out, okay, where did this come from? In the plot, where does this come from? You might rewind a bit or go back if it's a series and and look at another movie. Well, you have to go even further back here. You have to go back into eternity past. You have to go back in time before time was. You have to go back to the Trinity. You have to go back to God himself. You see, this promise was not only a promise that God revealed in time to his people. It was a promise that God established among himself before he created people. This is, for all you theology nerds, this is known as the pactum salutis. This was God before time existed, agreeing among himself that, he, that God the Father would send the Son who would accomplish Um, his work of atonement on behalf of his people and that God would give him a kingdom and send the spirit to indwell his people. This is the foundation of Jesus' priestly work. And this is the foundation of the Christian mission. You see, in this 
This foundation is very deep and very strong and very enlightening. It teaches us many things about the Christian mission, actually. First of all, what does this teach us? It teaches us that this world was, in fact, made by and made for God. God, before time existed, made a plan to save his people from sin and to establish a people for himself. Everything that happens in history is an outworking of God's plan to save a people to bring himself glory. So this helps us to make sense of missions. Have you ever heard someone say, well, missions? Well, that's, that, that's so narrow-minded. Um, that's so sectarian. Like, what, you, think you're, you think you only have the only religion in the world. You think you have the only truth in the world. One time I was working, it was a, it was a great job actually, I was working uh, at McDonald's making uh, hamburgers and um, I was preparing to be a missionary and uh, I was actually preparing to go on a missions trip to uh, Ghana and I was talking with the girl there and I had just requested time off and she, and she was like, oh, so you're going to Ghana, wow, that's really exciting, what, Ghana, what, what are you going to Ghana for? And I said, well, actually, I'm, um, I'm going on a mission trip and she was like, well, don't they already have their own beliefs? Don't they already have their religion? Um, don't you think that's kind of imperialistic? Like, who are you to go and tell them that they need to change? And, you know, to which I said, well, you know, I think there are two things you ought to consider. First of all, I said, if, if, if in fact we, we think pluralism is a good thing and, and all people ought to have a right to believe their own beliefs, well, then um, that necessitates Christian mission. Well, Why? Because you're presupposing that everywhere around the world is like America, that everyone around the world has an equal opportunity to um, hear all beliefs and all worldviews and viewpoints and, and to consider them equally. And that's not the case. I'm actually I'm, I'm going to provide an opportunity for that to be realized. And I said the second thing is, is you're pre- presupposing that this world is neutral. You see, this makes sense if there's no God and everything is subjective and relative and you can choose a religion and a truth for yourself. I said, but what if God does exist? What if the Christian message is true? What if the God of Christianity is truly the God of the world and the God of creation and what he demands of the nations is true? Well, then this isn't a narrow-minded thing to do. This is the most loving and embracing thing I could ever do, to go and tell the nations, you've sinned against God, but he loves you, and in response to your sin, he died for you. So this shows us the purpose of the world. The world was made to know God. The world was made for fellowship with the triune God. But for us, for those of us who have embraced this gospel, do you know what this does for us? This gives us great surety and confidence of God's love for us. The reality is God loved you before he even sent you to this earth. God set his love upon you before you even had the cognitive faculties to acknowledge his love. Before you even came out of the womb, God had already loved you and determined to save you. His love for you and me is not conditioned upon the life that we've lived. His love for you and me is not contingent upon our obedience to the mission that he's given to Christians. You see, many times we engage in Christian mission. We seek to serve our neighbors. We seek to, um, to help the poor and to feed the poor, and we, we, we seek to um, bless our neighbors and help them with chores and tasks, 
and ultimately we seek to extend the life-giving message of the gospel of Christ to others, but often we do it with this idea that I'm going to procure more of God's love, more of his favor by doing this. Like, yeah, God loved me yesterday, but today I fed the poor and I shared the gospel. How much more so does he love me today? Christian mission is often just as much for is just as much us trying to secure God's love as it is us trying to proclaim God's love. But the reality is God loved you before he ever sent you on mission. God's love for you is eternal. And so we can be sure of his love for us because it's not bound by time and it's not bound by our good deeds. In fact, one man named Gerhardus Voss had this to say. The best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. God will never stop loving you because he never started. He always has. So when we consider Christian mission, when we think about going to feed the poor, inviting neighbors over to our Thanksgiving banquet um, in order to extend hospitality to them and ultimately share the message of Christ with them, We have to do so knowing we don't do this in order to get more of God's love and favor, but because we've been given all of it that we can get. What this does, if we truly believe this, if we come to truly reckon with the gospel, if we come to truly reckon with the eternal and fixed, boundless love of God for us in Christ Jesus, it frees us to truly serve others. It frees us to truly engage and participate in God's mission. You see, if you don't believe this, your engagement in, your participation in God's mission is going to be characterized by fear and insecurity. You will do it so long as you will do it for the purpose of wanting God to love you more, ensuring yourself that God does, in fact, accept you and love you. What this does is it puts a cap. It puts a limit on the degree to which we actually will participate in God's mission. It puts a limit to which we actually can and will serve others because we will do so to the degree and as long as we have the confidence that God loves us on the basis of our participation in his mission. But if we can know His love for me is eternal and fixed and will never change. Then I can serve someone. I can take the gospel to Cambodia, not because I'm trying to find myself, not because I'm trying to find a, you know, get sanctified quick scheme, not because I think I can procure more of God's love. And I can do it with vulnerability and without limits because I know his love for me is fixed. Nothing's going to change it. So I can give myself freely to serving him and to serving others because I'm not seeking to get anything from him or from others. But I've been so captivated and transformed by his love that I want others to see and experience the same. So this is the foundation of Christian mission. Perhaps you are engaged in um, the ministry here at Grace. Perhaps you have considered foreign missions. I would want to say to you, the foundation of all of this The foundation of all of God's activity on earth, the foundation of all of our um, efforts to extend the gospel to the nations is God's eternal love for us, fixed and revealed in the gospel of Christ. So this is the foundation. Let's look at the end 
or you could say the effect of Christian mission. And we'll look at these last two very quickly. We'll look at the effect of Christian mission. Look, if you would, at John 17 and verse number 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What's interesting is all throughout this chapter, and actually all throughout John, we see Jesus referring to this joy that he has. What is this joy? What's the joy of Jesus? What is Jesus' joy? Well, it's twofold. It's twofold, but the two are actually connected. First, his joy is fellowship with the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in sweet, perfect harmony and fellowship. This is Jesus' joy. And this is the joy that he wants to extend to the nations. Meaning, Jesus' goal, Jesus' end, the effect of Jesus' life and ministry and death, burial and resurrection is the joy of humanity. Well, what is that joy? Fellowship with the triune God. This is what he has secured for us in his atoning work. This is why John 17 and verse 3 defines eternal life by knowing God. You know what this means? This means there is no true joy apart from true communion and fellowship with God. A man named um, Augustine once said, um, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We were made to know God, and we experience the anxiety and the depression in the times of um, downness and um, incomprehensibility because we don't know God. We were made for this. And you only know true joy when you come to know the true source of joy, and that is the triune God. And this is the reason for which Jesus came. The other aspect of this joy is his mission. Jesus found joy in mission. You can see this very clearly in Hebrews chapter 12. You can turn there if you'd like. I'll turn there very quickly and just read it for you. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus participated in, fulfilled the mission of God joyfully. It was this mission that gave him joy. This mission of extending fellowship with the triune God to the nations and bringing glory thereby, consequently, to God the Father. Jesus found his joy in mission. You see, and this is true of all of those who are in Christ. Our joy comes from knowing God and from participating in his mission. You as a Christian cannot have true joy apart from true engagement in God's mission. If you want to know God, if you want to have joy as a result of knowing God, if you want to have joy in God, you have to go where God goes, and God is on mission. You see, and this makes perfect sense, does it not? Not only biblically, not only theologically, but in so many other ways. Uh, numerous times throughout the past few months, I've, I've spoken with individuals who tell me they are down, they're in the dumps, they're depressed as a result of um, 
all that has happened, all that has resulted um, in 2020. And it makes perfect sense. What has 2020 brought upon us? It has brought upon us this, this, this mode, this mindset of survival. We often are not in a mindset of mission. We're often not mindful of the mission of God and what He's doing in and through us and around us as a result of, of, of 2020. And so we have our minds fixed on my work. We have our minds fixed on my income. We have our minds fixed on my, my home and my education and my children's education. And all of life becomes preoccupied merely with that. Those things are very important in and of themselves. But when your life becomes so fixed upon yourself, you're actually going to find that you lose yourself. You're not going to find that you find yourself and find life and joy. But as Christ said, for those who will find their lives, they must lose it. True joy is to be found in giving ourselves wholeheartedly and vulnerably to the mission of God. And then lastly, the power of Christian mission. And we'll go quickly and end with this. The power of Christian mission, as we see in John 17, in Jesus' prayer. Jesus wants individuals to meet God. He wants them to encounter God. And as a result of an encounter with God, wants to send them on mission. Now you might say, okay, this whole time, Glenn, you've been talking about mission, but I don't see anything about mission in John 17. I don't see that word. I, it doesn't seem to indicate missions. Well, where do you get that from? If you look, um, if you would, look if you would at verse number 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As, uh, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see this word sent here. It's Latin. It's missio. It's mission. Jesus was sent by the Father to inaugurate and to fulfill the mission of God to the nations. And that mission was to bring sinners into fellowship with the Holy God. To bring broken people into fellowship with the complete and whole Trinity. And he wants individuals to have this encounter and to experience this deep eternal fellowship that he has experienced and known and enjoyed for all time and then be sent. The power of Christian mission is a real deep encounter with the triune God. Here's what this means when we look at John 17. If you claim to know God, if you claim to have encountered God, to experience Him deeply, but you are not on mission, you haven't truly encountered God. For those who truly know God, they are then sent on mission. A missional Christian is a deep and known by God Christian. A Christian that knows God is a Christian that relishes in, that finds their joy and delight in the mission of God. So this is the power of Christian mission. We could say God brings us back to our true home for the purpose of, purpose of sending us out to the foreign lands. God calls us into himself so he can bless us and send us out to the broken nations. God heals and restores us 
so that with the same gospel that he healed and restored us with, we can then go out to the nations and participate in healing and restoring the nations and calling them back into deep fellowship with the triune God. So you know what this means? The Christian life is a depiction of, it's a picture of the life of the triune God, a life of community, a life of deep fellowship, which means anyone who encounters this true deep community of the Trinity will, will find themselves creating and living in deep community in real life on the ground. So one man said this, the gospel is good news, but like all good news from God, it comes with a demand. God dwells with you, dwell with one another. God made room in humanity for himself to make room in himself for humanity. Therefore, stretch, stretch out to make room for others in yourself. God tabernacled among you. Stretch your tent curtains so others can pitch near you. We recoil. Why? Other people's lives are a mess. Not that our lives are neat and tidy, but we become comfortable with the familiar uh, clutter and junk of our own lives. Stepping into someone else's litter is just gross. But Jesus came to dwell in flesh, to dwell among our junk and clutter, and he sends us out in the Spirit to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious truths that we see in John 17. We pray now, as your word has been declared, give understanding, give clarity, and grow us in the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.